0: Whether it's from Westeros or Stockholm, all roads can lead to Hollywood. This is Pop Culture Confidential. I'm Christina Jörling Biro, and on this episode I interview the executive producer who made Michael Connolly's iconic Bosch into an Amazon TV series, he got Billy Crystal, Larry Charles and Josh Gad together for The Comedians on FX, and has more shows on air and in the pipeline. And as several US friends have pointed out, did you know he was Swedish? I do. I interview executive producer Henrik Bastin on what it's like to go from the Swedish industry to working in Hollywood. But first... Picture a map. Three-dimensional models of Westeros, fortresses and cities rising from the ground. The buildings made from thousands of da Vinci-like gears and springs. Okay, wait. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. Press pause and go to our webpage, popcultureconfidential.com. Look at the opening sequence of Game of Thrones, because we're about to take a pop culture dive right into it. Ready? Ready? really happy to be joined by art director Rob Feng. Rob has directed award-winning commercials for Apple and Microsoft. He won the Cinema Eye Honor Award for his work on Errol Morris' feature film Tabloid and he also served as creative consultant on 20th Century Fox Video Game Division. Together with Oscar winner and creative director Angus Wall, who himself won for editing on The Social Network and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, he and their team created and won an Emmy Award in 2011 for their spectacular work on the title sequence for HBO's Game of Thrones. I had heard that the first idea for the title sequence actually was presented to them by the series creators themselves, Dan Weiss and David Benioff. A raven flies from King's Landing to Winterfell. I asked Rob Fang if this was true.
1: Yes, you're you're totally right. There was that was months before I even was on the project. And and that kind of win a certain path, you know. It's like any any creative project; it it has many many lives and iterations before it lands on something. So,
0: well, I understand that that uh, Benioff was super happy with your work because he later said that his biggest contribution was getting out of your way.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Those guys are so cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm so. It's so great that the the show's done so well. I mean, they're they're great people and. And, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome to see it, see it continue to grow.
0: Tell me how you ended up in this project.
1: Well, I was there, I was at, um, I was at a company working on something else. I was working with Errol Morris on a, on a documentary that I was helping him with the documentary I was working on. And, and they came to me with this, with this, with, um, with the project and at the, when we first when it first existed, and the first initial idea, you know, it was really just a map, you know, a little bit more like Lord of the Rings. I think that was the main reference or, or something like a, a Harry Potter or artist map type of thing, you know, kind of a flat, more genre specific type of um, type of approach. Still very good and interesting and effective. Um, but, you know, the, the task was, hey, do you have any other ideas? And so then we kind of went down this path and, um, you know, started just trying to take little tangential pivots in things that are still related to the world or the time or the genre, but could maybe be a little bit interesting and give us a different spin.
0: Tell me, what is the role of the art director on a title sequence like
1: this? On this, I was kind of more of the the concept guy. You know, just, I was the guy that was trying to find visual glue or, or different, different perspectives or ways of, of looking at the ask, you know, at, the, at the challenge. And, and in, in this situation, I, I think I just, I brought a lot of different reference points together and, and then we try to glue it all into into something cohesive and different and um so in that sense i, I was kind of more the the visual you know mad libs guy <laughs> for this type of thing um so when we landed on something that everyone seemed to sort of gravitate towards the filmmakers were interested in was um there were a couple of different reference points it was automata you know um you know the, the sort of early early robotics that are were, were basically like glorified tinker toys type of things and um a lot of leonardo, leonardo da vinci's drawings and sketches and, and his sort of, um, you know, what's very interesting is a lot of his his designs were very progressive for the time. They just happened to be more, more simple and basic materials. Um, so, so those were the two big, um, big factors that kind of drove a lot of the concept thing. Um, and, and then, yeah, and and then there was a lot of sci-fi interest on a totally different project that, um, we, we found this really interesting sort of concave map and, and that became the sort of genesis of of um, the space or the canvas of, of, of the titles, you know, the sort of inverted type of thing. Could
0: you read all the books?
1: Yeah, we, we started with just... just- Finding random images. There's just like pieces of things that were interesting. We all talked about it. We looked at it. There was a lot of that sort of just exchange of ideas and, and interest, and, and, and seeing where, where things were sort of collectively um, resonating. You know, and then from there, um, I went through three phases. I I, I brought in some of my storyboard artists that I work with just to kind of come up with just visual just cues on how things could move in space. You know, just blocking out cameras and seeing how things could flow. and and how we could maybe follow something, um, whether it be the Raven or not. You know, we we really went down a lot of paths there. And then I had a couple couple other guys. I mean, I really cast a wide net. I I had some just straight up designer designers that were just kind of doing collage type of things just to find sort of color keys and moods and, and just general exploration. And then we had CG just kind of tinkering and playing and just making stuff and and there were constant check-ins and so we would do this sort of rinse and repeat of seeing what's there mashing stuff together and then doing it again and um, you know it wasn't very long once we started getting all these artists on board just because it was so expensive but um that was really fun because you really got to um see what was bubbling to the surface and grab the little pieces that were um feeling right.
0: Have you read all the Game of Thrones books before?
1: No, I hadn't. You know, I'm perfectly honest. I did not. I, But I did read it. I read the first book um, and then I got hooked on it and I was sort of reading the book as I was, as I was working on it. Um, I am one book behind. So I'm, I'm one book behind right now but uh <laughs> i'm I'm you know, I'm yeah, we'll exactly. I'm very get. entrenched in the world. you know, I, I've met george i've I've been lucky enough to meet George Martin a few times, and, you know, I'm always gushing to him about the worlds he's created. so it's 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 been it's been fun.
0: You created something really iconic, but what title sequences now or historically have been your personal favorites, film or TV?
1: Oh, wow, that's a you know, I you know I, I title sequences have just with my background I've, that's something I've always really really appreciated, And, you know, I, you know, collaborating with Angus on this project was really fun because, you know, the seven titles was something that he had cut a long time ago. And, you know, it was, it was a part of, of that, that whole, that last big run of, of amazing title sequences that, you know, to this day are still referenced. Um, and, uh, and I love true detective, which, you know, elastic did as well. You know, I, I work with the, that group a lot, um, on, on design, design oriented jobs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, oh, gosh, there's, there's so many. But it, it's, it's always interesting to see. You know, it's, it's a shame these days with TV shows um, in the States, a lot of um, the title sequences get less and less time. You know, it, it, they're getting eat, eaten in a little bit. So you very rarely get the, get the running times that you used to for, for that sort of thing.
0: It's interesting because either they're really spectacular and long or they're like nothing. They're like just a title, like a text.
1: <laughs> extremely simple yeah exactly it, it, and it does kind of swing both ways There's, there isn't much of it in between these days but
0: like the older stuff like like hitchcock and you know those sequences from way back
1: sure dial in for murder i mean you know it's it's interesting too because like as far as the way just in general the, the zeitgeist of, of graphic design you know the, that sort of super flat um look is, is is very very right now but you know the, the way it's sort of recontextualized for for today's audiences it's it's interesting you know and then you have stuff that's you get this explosion of data visualization as well that sort of changes the whole mindset in, in, in how approach, um, approach and, and how you approach approach uh, design and how you approach visualizing something has changed dramatically as well. So uh, we're in an interesting time right now with all that stuff.
0: What would you say is the most innovative thing about the, the title sequence?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to talk about all your own work that way. I mean, it was just... It was a it was a really fun way of looking at at something that we've all seen before. You know, we just wanted to try to give it a little bit of a spin. So I, I feel like at least in that sense, you know, it, it, Game of Thrones is such a, a large universe and this like massive world of people and characters. I mean, the hardest thing is is to give people a cipher and, and to, to to at least a, a, a tool in helping them understand what what where everything is. You know, and so I think that was what I I, I feel really good and at least feeling like we were able to um, give a sense of, of the scope of the world. You know, and I think that was that was the, the, the big goal for that.
0: And, and the fact that it was organic and it changed between episodes, how, how difficult was that?
1: that was hard you know our our producer hamid i mean he again he, he that wasn't a person i forgot but you know he um, when that idea got thrown on the table i'm sure i'm sure he lost a few years of his life because <laughs> it was very complicated <laughs> you know and, and to this day right it's not normally when you do a title sequence you do it and you're done but you know every every year they come back and they ask for revisions you know i, I was only involved in the first season. Um since then I've kind of moved on to other things, but you know, they there's still a team that comes and every year when there's new paths and new locations they they make they make it and they, they change it and they re deliver it. So uh, every every season the title sequence is different.
0: And and there's always these rumors that there's there's little Easter eggs in the title sequence, clues you and, and I'm thinking, maybe you can tell me one if I promise not to tell anyone.
1: There's little loose hints, you know, like in season two when Winterfell got was it season two? Two, maybe season three i'm, I'm missing all but when, when Winterfell got destroyed you know that that in in those in those episodes there was it was smoky and on fire right there's little little bits in there i mean it's very subtle it's never over the top overt or sp- very very obvious but they're they're little in that sense there are little tidbits like that there
0: well it's spectacular and and what are you working on now
1: um there's a um, animated feature i'm a producer on um, that uh, is just finishing up. It's called Rock Dog, and that that's really fun. We're um, we're, work, we're we're kind of just wrapping that one up, and then I, I you know, mean I, I direct commercials and and I, I do just a lot of other <laughs> a lot of other things. So I definitely. Um, keep myself busy
0: and and you guys won an emmy for this title sequence so so that was pretty amazing um congratulations and oh
1: man that was so awesome yeah
0: thank you so much for talking to me and taking your time um to do this it was really really exciting for someone who doesn't know anything about this world
1: well thanks for your interest and uh, and for having me
0: thank you um please check out the amazing concept designs that rob let us put up on the site The American Dream is alive and well, at least for my next guest, Swedish executive producer in Hollywood, Henrik Bastin. He seems to be involved in like half the shows on TV right now. The very successful Amazon series Bosch, it's based on Michael Connelly's books, is ready for its season two. The comedians on FX with Billy Crystal, American Odyssey on NBC, and the just-announced sci-fi drama The Terrestrial coming up on the USA Network.
1: You break the rules, disobey orders. I think I'm coming apart. Focus,
2: detective, your future is on the line. This spring, comedy is like heart surgery. It gets botched all the time
0: go forget al-qaeda took millions of dollars from an american corporation you can prove this yes i can
1: i want to show you something
0: Pastine's resume reads like a classical Hollywood story, but in his native Sweden. He worked his way from production assistant to his own production companies with very successful Swedish shows. And his work in collaboration stateside with his company Fabrik landed him in the US. He's a fellow Swede, but will be speaking in English because this show leaves no one out. There's a rumor that Henrik Bastin was pretty ballsy right from the start and lied to get his first job as production assistant.
2: Um, Depends on which which lie you've been reading about, but it seems about right.
0: What was your first job? Well,
2: in this business, it was um, production assistant for... Daniel Bergman, uh, Ingmar Bergman's son, who did a commercial for the Swedish um, dairy brand Kelda.
0: It's quite clear that you had a knack for entertainment early. How quickly did you go from being assistant to having assistants?
2: I came. This is Sweden in the early '90s, where commercial TV was just about to really take off and explode. You know. And I know, but very few outside of Sweden know that until 89, we only had two um, public broadcasters in Sweden. And from that point on, 89, 90, we got commercial TV in Sweden. So the whole business kind of took off at that point. and I was uh, in the midst of it. So I was a production assistant on commercials and a couple of TV shows. And then this is the same time where digital um, editing came into the world, like avids and Lightworks and stuff like that. And I realized there was a... Niche where you could get in. So, you know, a year and a half after being production assistants on different shows, I decided let's buy a digital editing and start a company around it. So that's what we did mid-90s, 94 or something like that. From that point on, it kind of grew into production and production companies and so forth.
0: What exactly do you do as executive producer?
2: I see being a producer as a person that initially comes up with a concept or an idea or sees a potential in something and then nurtures that idea up to a point where he or she can let it go to people who are better skilled than I am to take over the creative reins on it. So, you know, the comedians, for instance, was a Swedish format produced uh, in 2004 in Sweden by people that I knew. Uh, I always was a big fan of the show. So when I moved over here, uh, 2009, 2010, I got the format rights for it and started putting together pieces of a puzzle, um, you know, meeting Billy Crystal after some twists and turns, meeting Larry Charles, adding these people and getting them to love it as much as I do. So at a certain point, the show was well enough packaged, as we say over here, for it to take the next step and we could go into FX and set it up. So, you know, I think I add value to, to, um, to an original idea or a thought or a book or something like that that's my job.
0: How much are you involved in the creative process afterwards and scripting and such?
2: I mean my strength is definitely not in, in writing or you know those creative arts I think I'm fairly good at seeing seeing what a show can be at an early stage, see past certain things that might be you know weird or hokey for someone I can see the potential in an underlying idea from you know but w- when the creative team like Ben Wexler was the showrunner on comedians and you know Matt Nicks and all all the great guys started doing. They take it over and that's their job and I'm happy with it. Then I read and I have Ideas and comments, but you know I never let myself, um, or you know I shouldn't be telling them what to do. That's also part of the job finding people that are smarter than you and letting them run with it. An FX original comedy. He's like a synchronized puppy. He's
1: easily distracted. Why does his dressing room always smell like ham?
0: Josh, they're ready to shoot.
1: About an FX original comedy. Make yourself at home. Oh Be careful! There's some kind of weird bear in
2: there. He gets real horny if you surprise him. FX doesn't have anything like this. For a
1: reason. The Comedians premieres Thursday, April 9th, only on FX.
0: I want to do a little experiment here. For my non-Swedish listeners, can you describe working in the Swedish entertainment industry?
2: Today, I would say it's in many ways the same, and in many ways it's very different. I mean, the the, the the same being, you know, a TV production or a movie or a TV show, scripted or non-scripted. The basics are always the same. It's about telling a story, getting to get a great people, fighting a budget that you always think is too low, a network that you always think is wrong in some capacity, and you know, keeping people from killing each other and having a great time. Um, <laughs> (laughs) I mean, that is the job in any, you know, I I think the same is true for Albania as in the U.S. or Sweden or France. Um, The biggest difference, I would say, is the scope and the scale. What I love about moving over to the States is that there's always a buyer. If you have a great idea, if you have have an idea that is truly good and you add, you know, a great piece of casting or a great showrunner, then you it's up to you to make it happen whereas in Sweden because it's a very small country with a very small language base there's very few networks that has the resources to really pull off so you know the instances where you've had this idea that you know would be a great drama or a great show and it doesn't happen because next year is the Olympics or next year is an election so all the money went to that. I mean that would be the biggest difference that's the possible in in the US as well it's, it's not a problem that you have a show that's going to break you know all costs uh, records for a pilot. It could actually be a great pitch like this is going to be the most expensive show ever and people Wow, that's cool. Um, so, the resources, the budgets, and the level of it, uh, that's the biggest difference. Whereas, you know, the craftsmanship is the same.
0: Right. But here we talk a lot about something called the flat organization. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel that there's a difference between that? Meaning, sort of, that everyone's a decision maker? I mean,
2: yes. I mean, the. I would say the difference is very – it's different before you get to the point of actually doing a show. Uh, After you start producing it and you're in production, you know, a grip is a grip. Um, That is true here and it's true in Sweden. Um, But, yes, everybody in the U.S., Loves to have an opinion because they think that's part of the, you know, the job description to always have an opinion in a notes meeting. For instance, even if there is like the script is perfect, I guarantee you people will have opinions on the <laughs> script just because they think that is what they should do. Uh, versus in Sweden, it is a bit more, I wouldn't say um, flat, but it's it's definitely different in the management situation and also like. The fact that Sweden is a very, we don't have agencies uh, in the same capacity and managers in the same capacity as we have in the States. Uh, I think that is a very, even in the UK, it's a very different situation. Whereas in the US the business is very much driven by the big agencies and the powerful managers. They really control the creative landscape right. and you have to, you know, you have to deal with that. That's a big difference.
0: And craft services is better in the States, right? It's way better in the States. <laughs> Which means it's that's the food that the guests and crew get on production. I would yes, say the <laughs> sp-
2: spreads on even <laughs> the like the smallest of sh- shows are fantastic.
0: So what was the biggest difference Change or shock or difference for you when you came over and 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 did your first American production?
2: Well, <clears throat> I think many things. I moved over here. I had been here um, doing shows for Scandinavia and interacted with the U.S. you know entertainment world. So I had, and I especially thought I had a pretty good grip on it when I moved over here. It wasn't just like being dropped in here, but I would say the biggest aha moment is when you realize that agents are not like Aerie Gold.
0: (laughs) How are they not like Aerie Gold?
2: Well, you know, there has definitely been moments where you, you think of agents as someone like sharks that go through, break down walls for you and make things happen. And I think the biggest aha moment is when you realize that you really have to do all the hard work yourself and the agents will engage once you have really done everything and then they'll feel the blood and the water, and then they can become that sharky figure that really makes a deal for you. But it's, it's really up to you to make things happen. You can't just call your agents, even if you have a great agent, you know, like kind of pitch an idea to them. It's too non-tangible for them. It really has to be all these different things in place. Otherwise they won't act on it because they're driven of what is their next deal uh, much more than what can be their next deal. You know, Two years from now, so that was one big thing. And you know, I thought I could change that and you know, work more like you did in the Swedish world, where you interact with people and sit down and kind of break down an idea and stuff like that. But you know, that didn't work. So that was a learning curve. Uh, And also realizing how big of a control that that you can't really being used coming from Sweden. I could pick up the phone and call basically any producer, any head of a network, any head, uh, you know, or I could get big stars to read a script just by giving them a call that short of being Steven Spielberg that really doesn't happen here you have to go through the motions
0: you've navigated several industries you have you know five or six shows on the go now what is your greatest asset, your quality of being a good producer would you say I, I think it is
2: it's hard to to look at oneself and say what you're really good at or so forth but I, I think I my biggest asset is that I can see I, I can see a very an idea at a very early stage and I can add elements in my head and see what it can be and like if I do X if I you know get Billy Crystal to watch this format I think he will be interested and if I have him I can make that next move I can see kind of chess board and make the moves in my head and see what the end product product will be. I think that is, that is, uh, something that makes my job, uh, easier. Uh, and also that I think I have a personal, um, Taste, but my personal taste buds are very broad and I can see shows both um, – I can see where a show will be a broad show or this will be a niche show but very high quality. I, there's something that uh, I think my personal taste caters to a broad audience and therefore I can pick up on ideas that will work for many people.
0: Talking about reviews, you've had some incredible reviews on, on your shows and you've had some bad ones. Um, how important are critics in the U.S. to the continuation of a show?
2: I think good reviews always helps because it creates a bus um, around it and you can use that in marketing. I I, I honestly think that reviews for ratings doesn't really, you know, move the needles. I don't think any big show has been driven about, driven by reviews in LA times, New York times, or Hollywood report or something like that. But it certainly helps when you get them because it gets the client, the network, you know, a bus. Um, whereas if you have really bad reviews, but if the, sh- if the audience finds it anyways and loves it, it doesn't really matter that you've been panned. Um, That would be my take on it.
0: Um, How are the reactions back home? Well, I think most people think
2: it's, you know, very, very cool. There's probably people, we have something in Sweden called Jantelagen, where, you know, but I, I really don't... Explain that. <laughs> well, Jantelagen is this Swedish saying, or almost a natural law that, you know, you shouldn't stick out too much, you shouldn't uh, boast your success, and you should, you know, remain in place and not tell people that you you made it. Um, you know, they were good, bad, good and bad things, With that, but I I have to say I haven't really experienced any anything of that. I think most people I interact with is very happy and they think it's cool. Um, you know, so I have had a very good experience so far. Every murder is the tale of a city.
0: I don't believe there's a better world than this one. This is the police. I think this is the only one we got. How about I buy you a drink? Call me. I know that love yeah. Do you have any idea what kind of position you put this department in? We'll never know how many others he's done This is a child's bone detective No doubt about it I believe you find the justice you can in this life Not the next one I'm Detective Bosch, LAPD Hollywood Division This is the work I do What can we expect from Bosch season two? Well. And congratulations to the success on that. It's a great show.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm, you know, very, very happy with it. I'm very proud of it. Um, You can expect more of the same uh, in the best sense possible. Um, Harry will be Harry. We are basing the second season on Michael's book, The Trunk Music, uh, with some strains also coming in from the book, The Drop. We'll take Harry from the underbelly of L.A. to the underbelly of las vegas and back and forth on them i think it will be maybe if anything it will be slightly darker um it will go even down down in the past some more uh and put his family in danger it's we start the writers room on wednesday here in la and i'm very very excited about it
0: cool and is it the same people coming back pretty much pretty much pretty much the same um
2: and then there's a couple of really nice, juicy guest roles. We have a fantastic female character that's going to come in. Um, so we're, you know, have it's. We're excited to start that part of the casting process as well to see who we can nab this time around.
0: What is your big picture? What do you want to do after now? Well,
2: I really don't have a master plan or something like that. Uh, I think the company that uh, Fabrique that I run is the only kind of creed or motto mission statement is like we find shows that we on a personal level would love to see on air and if they are 10 in development if they're one in development it really doesn't matter um right now we have a number of shows that I'm really excited about. You mentioned Terrestrial uh, that is uh, put in development with USA uh, based on a pitch from Gary Doberman who wrote Annabelle mm. which is just like one of the best horror, pitches that...
0: sort of horror thriller picture no
2: it's it's very different than Annabelle it's it's a story about a man getting it, I, I can't tell you because then I would spoil it but it's, okay. it's one of the best pitches I ever heard uh, and Gary is like one of the nicest guy I ever met so I'm very excited about that we actually have a script call in a couple of hours about it Um, do you know anything
0: about casting yet
2: no it's way too early we're just turning in the first draft and we don't even know if it's going to go or not but it's it's a project I'm very very excited about um, we have a number of projects um, that are in different stages of development we just finished up a pilot uh, for nbc called Lo- love is for what leather word that's based on a danish format called Nik- Nikolai and julia mm-hmm. uh, that turned out really well that um george tillman directed and diana son was the showrunner for her, so i saw the kind of final cut of that yesterday um, you know we take we take them as they come um, that's kind of like that is the game plan I just love doing what I'm doing right now
0: thank you so much for talking to me and we'll definitely keep an eye on all your things that are coming um thank you Henrik and good luck with everything thank you thank you so much for listening and make sure to visit popcultureconfidential.com where you find more content from this episode and you can also follow us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter Sound engineering and editing by Tom Hansen, producer is Rene Witterstedt, and music by Carl Boy. I'm Christina Jörling Biro, and listen to us next time.